Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm thankful that there's this many. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, really, to be honest with you. Um, but I know some of you just got cabin fever, and you just need to get out. And I don't blame you. I'm the same way. Um, I have this up here because, uh, as Bruce mentioned, we have a men's retreat coming up soon. And as you can see, this is going to be our focus, uh, living in the last days. Israel, her enemies, our future. And, and I've often asked that question. In fact, my mom and I talked about it yesterday as we were driving away from an awesome basketball game last night. Um, but she asked me, are we living in the last days? And, you know, my answer is pretty consistent. Maybe. I don't know for sure, but there seems to be a lot of things that are lining up with things that Scripture talks about happening in the last days. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know precisely when the Lord will return. In fact, he tells us that it's going to be like a thief in the night. And so that just tells us right there that nobody knows. Because if you knew when a thief was coming, he wouldn't be a thief. He'd just be a guy. But a thief comes because he steals and robs and you don't know when he's going to show up. And the same is true for Christ's return. But just for the sake of discussion, what if we didn't know? In fact, what if we knew that he was going to come three years from today, okay? Three years from today, we know that precisely that's when the Lord is going to return. And let me ask you this question. What difference would that make in your life? If you knew he was coming three years from today, would it make any difference in your life? Would you quit your job and decide, I need to go to the mission field? I've thought about it for years, and if the Lord's coming back, I don't want to delay. I need to go do it. Would you become more intentional about the way you uh, interact within your family as husband and wife, the way you disciple your kids? Would you be more open to sharing your faith and telling people about the one you know who will be returning? Would it change the way you live? Well, from Paul's perspective, if he were answered or asked that same question, based on what we learn in our passage this morning, he would say, if you knew the exact moment of Christ's return, it shouldn't make a difference in your life at all. Because if you're doing what God has called you to do, and you're being faithful to that, it's exactly what you need to be doing the day he returns. We don't have to change a thing. If our goal in life is to be faithful to God. A life, as we'll see, that it is based on a belief that it is God who qualifies our faith. It is God who guides our life. And ultimately, it is God who determines our worth. And if that's what we believe, even if Jesus were to return tomorrow or next week or next year, it wouldn't change a thing. Because being found faithful is exactly where God wants you to be. And you can do that right now in whatever circumstance you're in. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I am excited about what this passage has to say to us this morning the truth of being content by being faithful. Even when we're in good circumstances or we're in difficult circumstances, your presence and your provision is faithful no matter what. And if we can just learn to put our trust in you, 
We can see what you can accomplish in us no matter what's happening around us. And I pray that the heart of that message is crystal clear in our minds and in our lives this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 17. And I'll tell you before we read verse 17 that this is like an interlude, our passage this morning. Paul, as you know, as we looked at over the last several weeks, has been intently discussing uh, marriage and divorce and, and being single and all the information that's important to these relationships. And then all of a sudden it looks like he chases a rabbit and, and kind of goes in a different direction. But I want to suggest to you that's not what happens at all. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And thus I direct in all the churches. Like I said, it, it's, it's like an interlude in Paul's discussion to, to marriage and single and divorce. And, but it's not a random thought. In fact, it's the underlying theme of his entire teaching. Not only on the subjects that he's been, been discussing, but I think for the, the letter in general. And it is this. Learn to be faithful right where you are. That's the message. Learn to be faithful right where you are. Now, we don't know some of the motivation of the, the Corinthians in the early church that would cause them to do some of the things that Paul is speaking to. But some suggest that they may have felt like the Lord's return was imminent. And so in order to purify themselves, they felt it necessary to abstain from sexual activity even in the context of marriage. They would purify themselves by... Um, abandoning their unbelieving spouses, thinking that, that they needed to do these things to present themselves as holy and pure should the Lord return one day soon. And Paul, in seeing these dynamics, speaks to the church and he says, if you're being faithful to God, you don't need to change a thing. Look at verse 17 again. As the Lord has assigned, as God has called, let each man walk. And, and Paul says that this is a message that he's preached to all the churches. So this doesn't just apply to the church in Corinth. This is a universal truth that applies to all the churches, including this one. And Paul wants us to know that, that, that this is a message to remind us of ultimately who's in control. Explains that the Lord gives to each of us an assignment. It's kind of like a, a specific responsibility that is customized for how he created you. And each of you have been created uniquely in the eyes of God. You're handcrafted by him. And he has something specific and a, and a purpose to work in and through your life. And then he calls you. It's, an, it's like an invitation to, to live out of that purpose and that design. Because... There's no one way for all Christians to live. God didn't make us like a cookie cutter stamping us out so they're all identical. As we go through this letter, we're going to see how God has handcrafted each of us like a one-of-a-kind piece of art. Special, specific to how he wants to work in and through you for the good of the body, the, the good of the mission that he's called us to. We are qualified by him. 
it's like a signature on our heart that says, this one belongs to me. Look at how he continues in verse 18. He says, was a man, was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Then let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. In much of the early church, and the church in Corinth being no exception, really the Christian community could be divided into two parts, Gentile and Jew, the uncircumcised and the circumcised. The, we know from Acts chapter 15 that this was an issue in the early church because there were many who felt like circumcision was a necessary component to qualify your faith. You had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. That was a necessary component. Now, we look at that and think, oh, those archaic early Christians, what do they know? But I want to suggest to you that the debate continues today. And it's not circumcision, but we've added other things to the list. could be baptism. Infant, adult, immersed, sprinkled. doesn't matter, but whatever it is, you've got to be baptized if you're going to be saved. We've added things like what you don't do. <laughs> you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance, and you don't go with those who do, right? We've added things like a public profession. You've got to walk the aisle. We could make a list a mile long of the things that we've added as substitutions for the issue of circumcision, but all of them are intended in some way to qualify your faith, to prove that it's real. Something that you have to do in order to validate your belief. But Paul says, that's not true. Look again at the first part of verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing. And, and uncircumcision is nothing. They don't matter at all. And I want us to appreciate what an earth-shattering comment this was from a Jew. And, and to kind of put it in perspective, it would be like you're in a big event. Okay, like we went to the basketball game yesterday, and before the game, they do the national anthem. And everybody knows what you're supposed to do. It's the national anthem. You stand, you remove your hat, you put your heart over your, or your hand over your heart, and you show respect and honor to the national anthem, the flag. Now, what would you do if somebody in that context refused to stand up or maybe stood up, kept their hat on, turned the opposite way, and pulled out the Russian flag and held it high for everybody to see? Right? We would look at that and go, what in the world are you doing? That is so out of line, it's not even funny. You don't do stuff like that. Well, that's the same kind of response that would have been received when Paul said, as a Jew, circumcision means nothing at all. That's how earth-shattering that would have been. The Jew, to the Jew, circumcision was a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It was the way that God instructed his people to be set apart, designated as his people. Now, it was intended to be a sign that set them apart, not an action that would ultimately save them. And Paul makes that clear in some of his other uh, letters in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 6. Just listen to what he says here. 
It says, for in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Paul is making the same point to his letter in the, to the Galatians. As he has said, he's told all the churches, and what he's telling them is it's faith in Christ that matters. This is about what God has done for you, not what you must do for him. You don't qualify yourself. There's nothing that you can do to merit his favor. You are qualified by faith in Christ alone. He says something similar in that same letter to the Galatians towards the end. He repeats almost the same words. He says, for neither is circumcision or uncircumcision anything but a new creation. You see, the evidence of a true faith is a changed life. It's a new creation. Old things have gone. New things have come. That's the evidence of faith. It's the evidence of God's work in and through your life when you put your trust in Christ. Which is why he says in the second half of our verse 19, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. I think this goes back to what he said in the beginning where he's talking about the assignment and the calling, being faithful to do what God has directed you to do. Being committed to following the guidance of God's word. Being true to what God has put on your heart as affirmed by your brothers and sisters in Christ who are working together for the same cause. Your obedience is your truest and most reliable evidence of your faith. It's the sign that says God is in control. He's directing my life. I put my trust in him. Now look at verse 20 in our passage. It says, let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you're able to also become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Paul's point here is that circumstances around you do not limit what God can do within you. Again, this goes back to who's in control. The question for us is, are you letting God guide your life? It's good, it's important to understand that it's God who qualifies your faith. But then right on the heels of that, we need to ask ourselves, is God still guiding my life? Because our circumstances can change, and we all know that. At different seasons of life, our life looks different. And so Paul uses an issue that was prevalent in his day to make his point. It's important when we talk about this issue of slavery, that in Corinth, and we know this because of uh, our history, that one-third of the population in Corinth were active slaves. Another third were freedmen. And freedmen are, is a term used to describe former slaves. So almost 70% of Paul's population, and maybe even higher than that within the context of the church, had an experience in this social condition. So he, he's speaking to an issue that has impacted a lot of people. And he's telling them, based on that knowledge, becoming a Christian does not entitle you to a certain social status. Because social status does nothing to determine your worth in the eyes of God. So if you're a slave, if you're indebted to someone to work for them, 
then do your work as unto the Lord. Slavery may not be desirable, but in, within our life, we all find ourselves in some undesirable places. Slavery may not be desirable, but it's not a disqualifier. Because he wants us to know that God can work through any circumstance to bring about his highest good. Our circumstances don't limit what God can do in our heart. They don't determine what value and worth we have in his eyes. But at the same time, he says, look, but if you can be free, then be free. The point that Paul is trying to make as he's looking at these extremes of all the possible scenarios, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, is look, here's what matters. Whatever you do, don't take things into your own hands and wrongly assume that changing your circumstances will change your heart or in some way determine your worth in the eyes of God. Let God lead your life so that in any circumstance you're in, he's the one that changes your heart. He's the one that works in and through your life. Look at verse 22 again. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. He's looking at this saying, look, if you're a Christian slave, then in God's eyes, you're a slave who's been set free. Because here's the truth. Every single one of us was born into slavery to sin and death. And if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, then you have been set free. You are a freedman, once enslaved, now set free. On the other hand, he looks at those who are free, and he says, in God's eyes, you belong wholly and completely to him. He gave his life for you. As Paul will go on to say here soon, he bought you with a price. You are a part of his family. You've been adopted into that family of God. You are his. And even though you're free, you belong wholly and completely to him. I think this is such an important example for us to to think about and consider in our own lives because we all find ourselves in situations that are not desirable. And maybe that's why Paul chose this particular example. An undesirable situation, but it affected at least 70% of the people he was speaking to. And temptation is to look at those situations and say, you know, if my situation, if my circumstances would change, then my life would be better. If my marriage is not what I want it to be, then maybe I just need to get out. If I'm not enjoying my job, then I probably just need to go find a different career. If I'm not as popular as I want to be, maybe I need to, to find a new set of friends, uh, drive a different car, live in a different house. But you can change your circumstances all you want to, and they will not change your heart. Because all you'll do is take the same issues of brokenness from one situation right into the next. Circumstances will not change your heart. And Paul is looking at us and he's saying, look, if, if you'll be faithful with wherever God has you, he will give you the guidance and the provision to live in accordance with his will, no matter what your situation might be. He's that good. He's that good. He can take whatever situation and, and provide and, and, and be faithful to you if you 
will be faithful to him, to trust him. God will use your faithfulness to to lead you to a place of contentment because only God can change your heart. So Paul, in the context of this conversation about marriage and single and divorce, is now throwing in slavery and and, and free and, and, and circumcised and uncircumcised, and we might say rich and poor, healthy, sick, just whatever you want to throw in there. Whatever extreme or condition or circumstance you might think of, there is no circumstance that can keep God from accomplishing His good and perfect will in your life because He is not limited by your circumstances. We just have to learn to let Him guide our lives, to entrust ourselves to Him. And just in case there's some question about His ability to take care of us, let's look at the next couple of verses. Verse 22. You were bought with a price. So do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Do you see the repetition in just these few verses? Remain as you are. Trust in him. Let God qualify you. Let God guide you. And he is sufficient. We don't have to be a slave to the opinions of men if God has the only opinion that counts. Right, Wason? That's what Wason has on the bottom of his email. is God's opinion is the only one that counts. And, and that's true, and that's what Paul is saying here. The one who made you is the one who saved you. And, and he bought you by delivering you out of the slavery that we all were a part of to sin and death. He can redeem any person in any circumstance. He can bring value and purpose to any situation. He can change lives with only a mustard seed of faith. You were purchased by his blood, which means you belong to him. His signature is on your heart, and it says, this one is mine. He is faithful to love you and protect you. If that's true... If that's really what we believe in our heart of hearts, then Paul's looking to us and say, then why in the world would you want to then turn from that and become a slave to the opinions of men? To do things that you think others want you to do or the person others want you to be. Wouldn't God, who created you and bought you and, 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 and lives with, wouldn't he be the one who knows best? how to lead and direct and guide your life. Because in the end, God has the only opinion that matters. Don't listen to what other people have to say. Let God determine your worth. Let God be the one who guides your life. Let God be the one who qualifies your faith. What does he say? And that's where you need to put your trust. See, Paul is calling us to find contentment through faithfulness and this is a great message for us in our world today because all too often we convince ourselves that our life would be satisfied if we could just obtain something outside of what we currently have right don't we do that i think we all would admit that that's part of the struggle that we face because in our culture in particular you can pretty much have just about everything you want and so you have to fight that battle of my life would be better if and then you fill in the blank 
If I were dating someone, my life would be different. If I had a different job, or if I was on a certain team, or played in a certain position, or made certain grades, or drove a certain car, lived in a certain house. The assumption is, is that life is somehow satisfied by something outside of us. And Paul's message is crystal clear and resonates all throughout the letter of the Corinthians. And his message is this. What you need most, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is already within you. He says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you. And what he's saying is the presence of God indwells those who have put their faith in him through Christ. And when God indwells you, you have everything you need for life and godliness. There is no circumstance that is beyond what is his ability to care for and protect you and prove himself to be faithful to you. Regardless of your circumstances, your social status, your age, your gender, your race, we are one in, in Christ and complete in him, not lacking in anything, no matter what the circumstances are around us, because what matters is what's within us. And if you are a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a passage in Galatians. You can just write down the address, chapter 3, verse 26 uh, through 29, and listen to what it says. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is neither, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So let me give you an application to take with you today by way of confession. Okay? Here's my confession. I really want a Jeep Wrangler. It makes me jealous that you have a Jeep Wrangler. I really want a Jeep Wrangler. Okay? Especially on days like today, um, when you could use a four-wheel drive and, you know, of course, when you have a four-wheel drive, there's nothing that can stop you. And so I, I, it's, it's not the right time. I, I, I don't have the money, but I have convinced myself that my life would be better if I just had a Jeep Wrangler. I mean, I could tell you just about everything you want to know about a Jeep Wrangler because I've done the research. I know the different models and what they come with and what they don't come with. And so I'm ready to have a Jeep Wrangler. Here's the other thing that I've realized. The, the more I learn about it, the more I want it, right? And the more I look for it, the more I see it, right? Because I had no attention to this issue until just a few weeks ago when all of a sudden I got to thinking about Graham and him driving my truck and what would I get to replace that, and then, bing, Jeep Wrangler came up. <laughs> and then I started looking around and thought, good grief, there's a lot of Jeep Wranglers around this city. I mean, everywhere I turn, there's another Jeep Wrangler. And here's the confession. I get a little bitter and jealous when people have something that I really want, especially when those people are little punk high school kids that are getting... <laughs> I told you I was bitter, right? <laughs> For their first car, this brand-new Jeep Wrangler, and I'm just like, that's not right. It's just, it's just not right. 
the more I learn, the more I want, the more I look, the more I see, the more I don't have, the more I'm jealous and bitter because of those who do. So here's our experiment this week. You ready for this? What if? What if Jesus was the center of my deepest affection? What if that's what I really wanted more than anything else? Instead of a Jeep Wrangler, what if I set my heart on him? Do you think maybe that I might begin to see him show up in places that I've never seen him before? Not because he wasn't there. Just like those Jeeps have always been driving the roads of Lubbock, Texas, I just didn't notice them until I started looking for them. And then they showed up everywhere. Maybe if I started looking for the fingerprints of God in the lives of people around me, I might see him show up a little more often. What if I set my heart on him? What if I began to look to see the evidence of his hand in and around my life? And maybe if my heart was more satisfied with him, I'd be less inclined to pursue things that draw me away from him. Maybe if we applied the same principle, the more I learn about him, the more I want to know him. The more I look for him, the more I see him. And on that last piece, it's a little different because I do have him. And so I'm not bitter and jealous. Instead, I am graceful and merciful because I have something that someone doesn't have. And so it doesn't make me bitter. It makes me tender because I want them to know. I want them to understand the goodness of what it means to walk in relationship with God through faith in Christ. Maybe. Let's just try it this week. If we set our heart on God, if we learn more, maybe we begin to want more. If we look more, maybe we begin to see more. And maybe it just makes our heart tender towards who don't, people who don't have what we do have, and we want to tell them about it. And so to help you with that this week, let me give you a passage to look at. Philippians, just write this down. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through, or excuse me, 4 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. And just take some time this week. In fact, I think it's okay if you read that same passage every day this week. Okay, just see if you can read it and, and find something different each time. I had a professor in college who, or in seminary who had us read a psalm and pick out one thing in that psalm that was significant to us and then go back later and read it again and pick a different thing. And you could do that a hundred times over and you're always going to find something new if you really reflect on what it has to say and what it means to you and what you learn about him. So try that this week. Look at that passage and see. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is invite someone to coffee or invite a family over to your house and talk about Jesus. It's okay. You can do that. Talk about what he's doing in your heart, what he's revealing in your life, things that are shaping you to be what you believe he's designed you to be, places where you fall short and you want to grow and learn. Let's see what difference it would make if, if our mind was set on who Christ is and what he's accomplished and promised in his provision to us. Here's another passage. I want you to write this one down. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And here's what I want you to do with this passage. 
when you sit down with somebody and you share these things and you talk about who Christ is and you put your mind and your focus on him, when you're done, this is what I want you to do. One of you take time to pray that ver- th- those verses for the other person. Okay? You're just going to pray them as you read them for that person. When that person's done, the other person turn around, read the same verses as a prayer for the one you're spending time with. You each do it for the other. But pray that passage, one for the other. I'm convinced that not unlike what we talked about this morning, when we looked at what the disciples saw through the lens of their own expectation and how that directed them away from what was good for them and not what was being done for them, the very same thing can happen to us. We can let our circumstances determine what we see. And instead, if we can set our hearts and our minds on Jesus, maybe we begin to see what he sees. Maybe we begin to understand what he wants us to understand. Maybe the change that we want is not in our circumstances, it's in our heart. In a heart that is truly set on him. So let's just make a commitment to each other as a church family that this is what we're going to do this week. We're going to let God be the one who qualifies our faith, guides our life, and determines our worth. And that our faithfulness in whatever circumstance we are in is what will lead us to the contentment of resting in him. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, even as we say that in the shelter of this place, on a day like today, those words sound easy. But as soon as we walk out of these doors and face the reality of life around us, they become very hard, very difficult to not be distracted by our circumstances and situations, many of which we can't even explain. But Lord, by your grace and mercy, would you help us this week to be able to look not through the lens of our circumstances, but maybe through the lens of the cross, to understand who you are and maybe just maybe the more we learn the more we want to know you the more we look the more we see the evidence of your hand in our lives and around us and the more tender our heart becomes to share what we have in you with those who don't so father would you um, help us learn how to be content by being faithful right where you have us We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.